You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Talk Back, the Dramatist Guild's podcast about building the theater we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season is all about collaboration. In this episode, I talk to Teresa Coleman-Wash, Executive Artistic Director of Bishop Arts Theater Center in Dallas, Texas. We discuss the ways individualism and collectivism can go hand in hand in creating true community collaboration, using examples from Bishop Arts Theater Center's programming and efforts during the pandemic. Thank you so much for being here. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, my name is Teresa Coleman-Wash. I am the Executive Artistic Director for Bishop Arts Theater Center in Dallas, Texas. I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Thank you so much. I know that your theater, Bishop Arts Center, has found a lot of new ways to welcome in your community, especially during the pandemic. And I wondered if you can tell us about some of those ways that you've been doing that. So we started doing what we call patio live performances where we would partner with aging care facilities and independent living facilities to create these really engaging workshops and immersive workshops and performances on the patios and parking lots of these different facilities. And so that was one of the way that we were able to keep our artists, teaching artists employed during the, during the pandemic. The other way, Christine, is we partner with our friends at the Dramatist Guild Foundation. And we were able to provide a monologue workshop series where people like Amy Evans, France Luce Benson, Pia Wilson, and Stacy Rose conducted workshops, writing workshops for people all over the country, not just in our community. So quite frankly, what happened was we expanded our territory in ways that we never imagined. We also partnered with Profile Theater in Portland, Oregon. They produced a production of Lynn Nottage's Malima's Tale. It was a radio play, and of course I saw that play I saw the world premiere at the public and was immediately drawn to it. So when the opportunity to present the, the radio play for our audience came available, we jumped on top of that. I know that these programs have helped you expand your reach. How do you think that different members of your community have walked through your doors 
because of that than the ones you already were engaged with? So let me just give you some backstory. The building that we occupy was donated to us in 2004. It was a dilapidated photography studio with some rundown lofts upstairs. We raised a half a million dollars in private sector funding. We were able to get a construction loan for another $700,000. And so we started the renovations in 2006 and completed the renovations in 2008. And what we did after the renovations, I think really helped propel us to our current success and help us get through this pandemic. And what that was, was we held focus group meetings and we asked the community, what are we doing that you'd like to see us do more of? And what are we not doing that you'd like to see us implement? And from those conversations really informed our programs. We knew back then that theater audiences were declining. We knew back then that we needed to be active listeners, that in order for you know, I'm not from Dallas, I'm a transplant. And so I had no, basically community here. I had to build community. And so being active listeners and making sure that we were in step, in a line with the, the, the neighborhoods around this theater was incredibly, incredibly uh, important. I distinctly remember back then going to a, an art symposium by Michael Kaiser that was in 2008, of course, when the economy plummeted and we had this shiny new building. And Michael said something that resonated with me deeply and that is sick people don't get well by doing less. Now is the time for you to really connect with your community. And I'm telling you that advice served us well back then and it's serving us well right now. That's wonderful. You know, it is really occurring to me that radical hospitality has to be so intentional, right? And and it also needs to be taken into account that we cannot welcome in on our terms only. That's right. We need to we need to listen like you say and find out what people need from us in order to feel welcomed. And it sounds like you've really been doing that so successfully. I wonder if you could expand on that. I know that you have had other programs in your building that have not just been theater related and that has led to a really radical hospitality. We worked with the mayor's office to make sure that we were a pop-up clinic. So we invited people in the community to get the vaccine done. There were people waiting for our theater to invite them it's on record. I mean, one of the, the, uh, our former actors said, you know, I didn't want to go down to Fair Park downtown. This is right here in, our, in my community. I've performed on the stage. And when I, th- when I thought about it, when I thought about the power of the trust that the community has, has displaced in our organization, that's a very powerful, powerful position to be in. We can't take that for granted. I participate in a coalition. Since August of last year, we have been working on and advocating for the Save Our Stages bill, which is now Shuttered Venue Operators Grant. And what I'm learning in those conversations is it's really a novel idea for the American theater to think about working with the community. We just applied for the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant. And prior to the pandemic, 
our music series paid for everything. So we were able to get a large enough grant from the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant to pay off our construction loan debt. Wow. <laughs> because That's amazing. Yes, because, because we were active listeners, because we didn't force our agenda, but because we listened to the community and said, okay, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? And I'm, I'm just thrilled that in this moment that we're able to really invest in our people. You know, we're, we've been struggling with this construction loan debt for about 15 years now. And now we're in a position, just announced that Frankie Gonzalez is our playwright in residence. We are able to really build out infrastructure and keep artists employed in ways that we never imagined. So we're investing in people now. You know, we're investing in in the full-time staff, making sure that we have health insurance and a retirement package, all the things that we don't enjoy typically in the American theater. We're making sure that we're taking care of our people. I get the sense that you and your organization have been actively listening for a long time, and that's that's why you've been as successful as you have been in connecting with your community. I wonder, has it been differently informed because of the pandemic? And if so, in, in what ways? Yeah, so I, I love that question because prior to the pandemic, we were one of just only a handful of arts organizations who participated in Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation. It is an organization that really have hard and meaningful conversations with the powers that be in, in our community. There has been so much evidence that there is a huge disparity between the funding that theaters that center stories and people of color uh, get as opposed to the predominantly white institutions. And I wonder how you navigate that and speak to it. A group of nonprofit leaders here in the Dallas area decided to get together and coordinate what we called hard conversations, I believe it was. And we had folks who used their privilege to invite members of the philanthropic community to sit and listen about what the needs were for organizations of color, because we know that women of color who run nonprofit organizations receive 0.6% of philanthropic dollars. We could not survive the pandemic, you know, had that continued. And I'm telling you what happened was something that I never expected. And that is people leaned in to have the conversation. Not only did they show up, but they followed up on conversations. And I mentioned that we have been dealing with our construction loan debt for about 15 years. But those members of the philanthropic community not only took an interest in what we were doing and how we built this organization, but also how we've been able to thrive and survive and how we've been able, been able to connect with the community. That's something that's mm -hmm. been second nature for us for years. And quite frankly, I don't know how we would have survived our 28-year existence had we not listened to the community. So, you know, having those conversations with Dallas TRHT and with the philanthropic community has been a game changer for us. 
because we're we're no longer interested in we can't afford quite frankly to to accept five thousand dollar go away grants we need people who are genuinely interested in the well-being of our organization and i distinctly remember ty defoe saying if you're not planning seven generations deep you're not dreaming big enough we took that advice to heart and so what that means for us is we have to engage people who want to engage with us first of all and folks who have a genuine interest in the well-being of our organization otherwise what are we doing it's self-serving and and quite frankly in my opinion in my experience sustainability is never achieved when you have a me myself and i approach Mm -hmm. I think really the uh, question that has come up so much, especially in this last year, is the line between collectivism and individualism, right? And how we balance that in a capitalist society and in an industry that literally relies on collaboration. Yeah. I love hearing about how the conversations have shifted I wonder what you think uh, going forward, how this work can continue and how everyone who is, who is grappling with the same kinds of forward moving activity can make it sustainable. Yeah, so I've said this before, and that is we can't professionalize racial equity. You know, mm. the, the change that we're seeing right now has to continue in a deep and more meaningful way. I can't, I've lost, count of the times that I've sat in meetings with Eurocentric organizations who have programmed plays like Booty Candy or the like with microaggressions hurled about. You know, this this has nothing to do with optics and being on the right side of history, although we want to be on the right side of history. It is about who we are as individuals. It is about the work that we're doing as, as individuals and not, not showing up because we want to be woke or we want to be, we want to hang out with the woke folks. <laughs> you know, right. it really is about, about who we are as individuals. And I'll use this, I want to I wanna repeat this, and I, I use this example all the time, but our wonderful board chair, it's a woman named Emma Rogers. She's very well respected in the in the community. She owned Black Images books for years, for over 30 years. But Emma talks about how when she travels, she always leaves a tip for the person who's cleaning her room. Just to say, I see you. I respect you. I honor you. And that's the kind of introspection and accountability I think that we all have to hold ourselves up to when no one is looking. What you do behind closed doors is really the litmus test to your integrity. Absolutely. I think what the million dollar question is, is how we get past the statements and the training that people have engaged in in this past year right. and and move forward into those into those seven generations ahead right and i've heard some people sort of 
pat themselves on the back for having done all of this work over the last months. And <laughs> my response is, okay, well, that's, that's great. I'm so glad, but welcome to a lifetime exactly. of yeah. fighting racism and, and ableism and all of the isms yes. that are baked into our society. That's right. Because it's, it is an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing, it's ongoing work. And I don't think people understand that, you know, we're being really intentional about training the next generation of leaders because folks like me are like overworked and really need to be on a beach drinking a Mai Tai, right? Yes, I wish that for you. Exactly. <laughs> we're really being intentional about training the next generation of leaders because we're so encouraged by the work that some of these young people are doing. And 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 I just think that it's that, you know, we we've got to make sure that we understand this is ongoing long-term work. And not just, it's not just a moment. It really is a movement. We'll be right back with more from Teresa Coleman-Wash. Welcome back to our chat with Teresa Coleman-Wash, Executive Artistic Director of Bishop Arts Theater Center. Teresa's theater is in Dallas, Texas, where critical race theory is currently getting a lot of pushback. Here's how Teresa sees her theater's role in teaching the next generation. I just think in this moment, the work that we do is so important and so critical. We've worked for years with the independent school districts. And I'm talking to a playwright in resident and our new associate assistant producer about the stories that we tell in the school districts because we know there are barriers. There are barriers that are in place for those teachers to tell the truth. And I feel that we have a responsibility, not just in the school districts, but also in our institutions. We're excited um, about the new voices and new plays and hidden truths and giving a platform to all of that in this, in this moment. I, I, it's, it's exciting for me and I have folks I have millennials on my staff, so <laughs> they know how to get things done. Teresa, that, that is so thrilling. I, you know, I, I have often said history is remembered by the stories that we tell, right? And if, and, if, and if our stories are missing, so are we. So this has just given me such great hope to know that, hey, wait a minute. Okay, so they're going to do what they're going to do with banning critical race theory because they're afraid of knowing the truth. But here come the playwrights. And, <laughs> and the storytellers. It's so empowering. It is. And I, I, I we're working with PEN America on a one-act festival in February of 2022. PEN America has this prison and justice ministry or workshop or a contest where they work with actually inmates. There's a man who actually wrote himself off death row. When I heard that, I'm like, okay, the power of the pen is real and it is transformative. We have right. so much power in our hands. How do you think your community partners will continue to engage with your theater? Well, you know, it's interesting because our first in-person program is September 11th. And within five days, we were 95% sold out. That was a litmus test for me. 
that people are waiting to come back to the theater. Every day that we quarantined, every week when I came in the office, there was a donation, there was a check from a member of the community saying, we're rooting for you. We wanna make sure that you come out whole on the other side of this. That was very telling for me. So That is amazing, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, and I was on the phone, it's, you know, I was on the phone last night until about eight o'clock. I was working late and answered the phone at seven o'clock on the phone with one of our patrons. And we talked for an hour. <laughs> so what I feel, I, I, I really think that there's a heightened sense of engagement that we're seeing even right now. Wonderful. Earlier, you mentioned your philanthropic partners and there's been so much evidence that theaters that um, center communities of color have been getting less funding than the predominantly white institutions. And I wonder if you see that changing now and, and or how do you navigate that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So when we renovated the theater, I naively thought that we would have naming rights all over the buildings based on the buildings downtown in the downtown area. You know, I followed who's giving money to the arts. And at that time in 2008, not only did the economy plummet, but also the Dallas Arts District was being built. And so those larger Eurocentric institutions were getting all of the attention all of the resources. And it was it was very, very discouraging because we had members of the philanthropic community to tell us we're supporting the Dallas Arts District. You know, we're not, we don't have any any additional funds. But because of the conversations that we've had with Dallas TRHT, it's nice to see the members of the philanthropic community leaning into those conversations. Terry Loftus at the Arts Community Alliance, TACA here in Dallas, took over the reins about a year and a half ago. They've made some transformative changes. I also see younger members of like family foundations taking over. I think that what's happening is they're educating themselves and they do wanna be on the right side of history and they understand the inequities that have happened. I think there's some, some effort to change that. We have a couple of naming right opportunities that we didn't have prior to the pandemic. And so I attribute that to, again, the conversations that we're having, really hard, uncomfortable conversations that we're having, but also I think people have to have a genuine interest in the well-being of our organization. We can't, you know, we, we have a track record. We know that there are kids who have gone off to college and because of their training in our program have received scholarships, hundreds of thousands of dollars of scholarships. Now, I wow. hear that all the time. Why wouldn't you support that? Right. Why, what, why wouldn't you support an organization that is helping people get vaccinated in the community? Right. Why wouldn't you help an organization that is helping the community in meaningful ways, not just conventional, we're, we're not here to just entertain, people, there, there are real needs. The pandemic affected mostly black and brown communities. Those are the people that we serve. We certainly were not gonna close our doors. 
So mm-hmm. when, um, when the philanthropic community saw that we were reaching out to aging care facilities, reaching out to uh, independent school districts, I think they've, in their minds, they felt, you know, this organization is really too important to fail. I have to tell you, Christine, you know, when we, when this building was gifted to us, everything that we were told to do to sustain our organization, we, we abandoned that advice and we had to really make our own rules. We knew again that theater audiences were declining, so we couldn't rely solely on ticket sales from theater, from our theater series. And I'm so glad that we incorporated more things from the community and that we were, again, active listeners, that our agenda didn't override what we were hearing from the community. And and I don't think that that's all the time that that is common knowledge for for institutions like ours. I'm just I'm glad we had the wherewithal to listen to the community. Yes. What are you looking forward to as uh, you're able to welcome back audiences into the building? Well, I was talking with staff this morning about a listening series. It served us. 15, 20 years ago, I think it'll serve us as we transition to this new generation of leaders. I I really want the new leaders to understand how important it is to surrender your will to the will of the people. (laughs) And, And I'm really excited to hear how we can transform this organization in ways that are meaningful for the community. And I want to hear from them. I want to hear from them personally. When I think about our work at the Dramatist Guild Foundation, our partnership with the Dramatist Guild Foundation, during the pandemic, there were organizations like DGF saying, we have resources. What can we do to help? And I'm hoping that on the other side of the pandemic, that that continues, that we really reach beyond our local communities to expand our territories. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to partnership in meaningful ways. I mean, we completely removed the barrier of flying folks in, you know, and and finding hotels. Reg Douglas is a director that I whose career I have followed and who I wanted to work with prior to the pandemic. Reg called me and said, I have an opportunity that I think you may be interested in. And it's a radio play of Malima's Tale. We were able to cast it with Broadway actors. We were able to work with technicians all over the country. Nobody was in a room together. I mean, the artists were all over. The tech people were in different parts of the country. And so once they compiled the show together, Josh, who's the artistic director at Profile Theater, and I got on the phone and said, okay, how can we, how can we share this product? How can we excite our communities about it? So we actually brought in the Dallas Zoo, did a talk back with them, very informative. And, and so we were able to kind of think outside the box and excite our local audience as well as a national audience for, for this particular show. It was very successful. And 
I'm hoping on the other side of the pandemic that those are the kinds of projects that we can continue to work on. And when Reg called me and told me about Malima's Tale at Profile Theater, my ego was not attached to, well, we didn't produce it. We partnered with that theater, kept artists employed, and created opportunities that, you know, kept the lights on and the doors open for so many institutions, but also for, for other artists. So I, I'm hoping that we can remove our ego in ways that, that can propel our career, our sector, so that we don't create these barriers for ourselves. Thank you to Teresa for speaking with us today. You can learn more about Bishop Arts Theater Center by visiting bishopartstheater.org. Talkback is a production of the Dramatist Guild of America. It's produced by Amy Von Masick, Sarah Storm, and me, Christine Toy Johnson. Robert Delaney Prine mixes our show. Our theme music is by Andrea Daly. The Dramatist Guild Presents Talkback is distributed by the Broadway Podcast Network. Join the conversation online using hashtag DGTalkback. As always, to be continued. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.